to Pharmacy View Podcast, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key people within Australian pharmacy and the associated global industry. In this stream of podcast episodes titled Rx to Riches, we delve into the evolving global pharmacy landscape, exploring the challenges and opportunities, and examining the current state of retail pharmacy across the globe. With each guest, we discuss the hurdles they face and the potential growth areas that may shape a brighter future for your pharmacy or industry-related business. I'm your host, Michael Alexander, pharmacist, digital health enthusiast, and co-founder of Ottery, an AI-powered communication intelligence platform serving the healthcare industry across the globe. My guest today is proudly brought to you by Shopfront Solutions. For all your shelf and digital marketing needs, part of the Arion Technologies Group. Welcome to the RX to Riches podcast. My guest today is Jess Coppola, who is the Director of Omnichannel Merchandising at CBS Health. For overseas listeners who aren't familiar with CBS Health, it is one of the largest pharmacy chains in the U.S., generating about $100 billion in retail sales a year across nearly 10,000 retail pharmacy locations. So those are big numbers. Jess has worked at CBS for over 17 years, starting as a front store cashier in 2005 and subsequently filling a number of high-level leadership roles, both in retail pharmacy, as well as in the CVS corporate offices. She joins me today to share her pharmacy journey and thoughts on the future of the industry. Jess, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm really excited to be here. So before we start, uh, Jess just wants to make clear that these are her opinions. She's not here uh, in the guise of actually representing CVS Health. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's really what you wanted to to make sure that we make clear to the audience. Yeah, these these thoughts are these thoughts are my own um, as an N of one. I do work at CVS, uh, but I have my own opinions, and so that, those are what I'm sharing here today, Michael. Great. So you know, as I alluded to in my intro, uh, you filled a lot of different roles in your pharmacy career, and uh, let me rattle them off pharmacy technician, uh, retail pharmacy product development, where we actually met and worked together, uh, store operations, uh, supply chain management logistics, and now merchandising. So uh, tell us about your incredible journey through the profession and how you came to be in the position that you're in now. Yeah, great question. Uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, you know, I've had a wonderful journey at CVS Health. I started working here while I was in high school uh, as a cashier, just as an after-school job, and never in my wildest dreams did I think that it would turn into a career. Uh, but I've been really fortunate throughout the years to move into different roles. I've always had a passion for healthcare and healthcare delivery, and moving into the pharmacy was really able to be an integral part of our community and deliver healthcare to the people around me, the people I live with and see at the grocery store or at the park. Um, that's really deeply fulfilling work to me. And over the years, working in the pharmacy and pursuing my degrees, I then had the opportunity to move into a corporate role while I was getting my MBA or master's in business and started off in pharmacy product development. As you alluded to, that's where we met. We had a great time, got into uh, a lot of uh, trouble. Not really, but we had, we had a really great time figuring out how we could really help our patients across all of our CVS locations be adherent with taking their medications. That's something that is just critically important um, to the overall health of our nation. And from there, had the opportunity to go into a rotational development program and see some other parts of the business like store operations, supply chain and logistics, 
brick and mortar merchandising and now e-commerce, the digital side of merchandising. So it's been a fantastic journey for me. I've enjoyed um, most of it and I'm um, just super excited to see kind of what the future holds, uh, both for CBS and for me. Well, before we talk about the future, let's talk about the past. Uh, how have you seen the industry evolve over your last 17 years at CBS? Yeah, I mean, huge changes uh, in a very short period of time, right? When I started, um, even just the technology uh, was, was things went a lot slower back then than they do now. And our the healthcare needs, the needs of our population have shifted um, for a variety of reasons, right? You have generations that are older um, than they were when I started working, you know? So for us, we have the, the boomer generation, if you will, starting to really age. Um, and we're seeing the impacts of that on healthcare needs. We've also, you know, been through a pandemic as well, um, among other things. And we've really seen the role of the pharmacy evolve during this time. You know, it's it's hard to imagine, but I remember a time when we didn't do immunizations in the pharmacy, right? Uh, really, the only thing outside of filling prescriptions that we did when I first started was occasionally, um, you know, doing blood pressure screenings with the old school manual, you know, cuff for patients. And there wasn't a lot of interest in it. But you've seen over the years, the pharmacy has really become a hub for people that need access to healthcare professionals, need advice, need immunizations, need to know what to take uh, when they're feeling sick. And it really goes beyond just the prescription, but we've really elevated uh, what we're able to do now in the pharmacy healthcare delivery setting um, versus what we were doing, you know, 18 years ago. Yeah, no, um, I agree. I think it's um, it's definitely been um, a progression, an evolution, and we'll talk a little bit more about that evolution um, from the perspective of you know pharmacists and those um, working retail pharmacy and how they um, you know how they can practice at the top of their profession a little bit more, even more than they have in the preceding uh, last couple of years. But I, I want to first uh, talk a little bit about your current role. So you're the director of Omnichannel Merchandising. Uh, so explain to our listeners what it means to have an omnichannel approach in pharmacy. And in your opinion, how is this more beneficial in keeping patients engaged in their health? Yeah, so in my current role, I'm really focused more on the uh, over-the-counter assortment that we offer, but it does tie directly into our prescriptions, and we do have omnichannel programs. For those that are wondering what omnichannel is, if you Google it, you'll see a lot of different definitions, right? But really the way that we think about omnichannel is meeting customers or patients where they are, getting them what they need, when they need it, and how they want it. And that can look very different to different people, right? It's all about convenience. And convenience for me is different than convenience for you. And convenience may be different for each of us, depending on the day and what's going on in our lives. And that's where the role of Omnichannel really comes in. It's that ability to get that prescription and those over-the-counter items that you need with it delivered to you today if you need them, in 15 minutes if you need them. Or if you can wait a few days, but you just don't have time to get to the pharmacy, we'll deliver it to your front door. Or if you're coming by the pharmacy on your way home from work and you want to pop in anyway, we can get some of those items that you need together and bring you into the store without having you walk around and pick up those things to save you a little bit of time. So it really varies. And it's all about what does the customer or the patient need 
in that moment and how are we going to help them stay healthy? So we're really thinking about this omni-channel or sort of like all-channel approach for how we can get uh, get those things to you. So would you say then that omni-channel really means in a sense convenience or at the very least trying to find the most convenient way to deliver care to patients? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about convenience. Uh, it's about giving you the options, really putting the ball in your court and letting you decide what's the best thing for you in the moment and then meeting that need. And definitely uh, the digital delivery channel is going to be a huge part of that and is a huge part of that already. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the 10,000 pound gorilla in the room, our, our friends at Amazon. Right? Yeah. So Amazon has made deep forays into the healthcare sector in the US and they have their sights set on pharmacy in particular. So in a landscape where e-commerce and digital health is on the rise, you know, CVS Health is basically a traditional bricks and mortar pharmacy. So how do these traditional types of pharmacies stay relevant and remain relevant in the futures? You know, what kind of strategies do they need to employ to compete in the digital age? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. It's what I think about, you know, all the time. And for us, what we really want to do, you think about differentiation, and there are there are two main ways you can do that. You can differentiate with your experience or with your products and your services, right? And so Amazon certainly has made inroads in a variety of different industries, including retail, including pharmacy. They are the ultimate disruptor, and they'll continue to be that. One thing that your brick and mortar pharmacy chain has that Amazon doesn't yet is that location right in the community. We are embedded where people live. And we're also online. You can get to us through the website. You can get to us through the mobile app. So it's the best of both worlds. And I think what we saw over the last you know five years or so was really this shift to doing everything digitally and mobily. Certainly the pandemic exacerbated that for folks when we weren't able to, to leave our homes and needed things to be delivered. But now we're starting to see a shift back, right? To this sort of, if you think about how retail started, that general store where you went in and the store owner knew your name, knew what you needed um, and took your phone call. And also if you were sick said, you know what, I'll bring you that prescription, right? Giving those options, like that's how retail actually started. And there was sort of this personalized touch to it that we're able to deliver along with whatever those healthcare needs are, whether it's a prescription uh, or over-the-counter supplements. We know our patients and we have their trust and we can deliver what they need in a myriad of different ways. So if they want that sort of less personal online delivery, they can get it. If they want a more personal touch, they can get that too. And so for us, that's really where we're leaning in you know, being in 10,000 locations across the country, uh, we're within three miles of 80% of Americans' homes. So really, like, there's this ultra convenience, and we can build on that with our omni-channel model. So if you want to come to the store, great. And if you don't, we can get you what you need really quickly as well. Uh, and for us, you know, that that's where we think we can really kind of differentiate ourselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because you spoke a little bit about personalization and having that ability to know the patient when they walk in. You know, when I was practicing as a pharmacist, 
you know, I would take pride in knowing my patients and asking about their families and that personal touch. And I think a lot of the uh, health professionals who are, are listening to this podcast would agree is so important to the overall delivery of health. But on the other side, now we have things like generative AI. You can go online, put in your symptoms. They can tell you what well, it, they can tell you uh, what you have uh, and point you in the right direction. Then you can order it online and you never have to leave your house for any of it. So I'm just wondering, in your opinion, is that level of personalization, is that, does that still matter to patients or is that going to be diluted uh, in the future as these technologies tend to get better at interacting with patients? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how things evolve um, as, as generations age, right? There's a, certainly more of a preference to, you know, for uh, Gen Z, a really digitally native generation grew up with tablets and smartphones, right? Whereas millennials remember a time when there wasn't such a thing as a smartphone and cell phones were these huge things in a bag. And then, you know, Gen Gen X before that, right? Um, and so as we all age, I, I do think there could potentially be a shift. Generative AI is really interesting, a buzzword right now. Everybody is talking about it and you're right. It's, it's very immature at the moment. It will get a lot better. And there are going to be people that enjoy talking to a chat bot or prefer talking to a chat bot uh, versus a person. We know that, right? But there are people, there are still a lot of people, particularly when it comes to healthcare, that want to talk to a person, whether it's talking to that person face-to-face at the pharmacy or through a telehealth appointment seeing another person really just sort of adds that personalization and also increases that trust factor when you're asking questions, especially related to your health. Do you want Olivia, the chatbot telling you what to do versus Michael, the pharmacist? I don't know. Different people would answer it differently. I certainly would prefer to hear it from Michael. And I know that a lot of people out there, at least currently, would as well. But we'll continue to evolve as our customers' needs evolve. Well, I appreciate that. Sorry, Olivia, the chatbot. Uh, but uh, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to ask you something uh, that you said when we were we were prepping for this conversation, which I thought was really interesting, and it has to do with a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of uh, different channels and how they can tend to reinforce each other. Uh, but you said that digitally initiated sales have a halo effect. So, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so it's it's really a very interesting concept, but what we have seen over time as more people have gotten comfortable, you know, using their cell phones, we're really in an age where you've got your phone right by you at all times. If it's not in your hand, it's within reach. Um, and what we're seeing a lot of is not only are people making purchases online, they're more comfortable making purchases that way, desktop, mobile, using a URL or using an app. But more than that, what we're seeing is people are doing their research online to decide what products they want to get. They're checking the prices. They're checking the promotions. They're checking where they can get things, maybe where's the closest place they can get it or how's the fast way that they can get it. Um, And then they're coming into the store and and they're making their purchases or they're placing an order online. And for programs like Buy Online, Pick Up and Store, which are getting a lot of traction in the United States, what's happening is that's driving foot traffic 
into our brick and mortar locations. And what we're seeing is that most people that come in to pick up an order then end up grabbing another product before they leave or, or a handful of products and adding another $15 to their basket. And so when we look at our sales, they're great, but then we see the impact of those sales and what they drive into our brick and mortar channel is three times as much. And we're able to track that with analytics. So really, really fascinating. That makes a really good case um, for why you should continue to grow in this sort of omni-channel space. It shows, it proves people, people want to be able to get things in more than one way. And it's good for the business and good for the bottom line. So that's the halo effect. Yeah, no, I love it. I might steal that. I'm just telling you now, Jess. Uh, let me see, let me, let me talk a little bit about the role of pharmacists in the future. And we touched on that the role of pharmacists have been evolving over the last couple of years. Uh, to your point, and I remember very early in my career, there wasn't much we could do in the pharmacy. Now there's a whole host of different types of services that pharmacists can provide. So from your lens, and as somebody who has kind of worked across uh, the industry in multiple different situations, um, not being a pharmacist yourself, uh, but working with pharmacists all the time, how do you see the responsibility of pharmacists changing in the coming years? Uh, and how, do, how does CVS uh, support that development? And I guess as an add-on, you know, how do we, what are new kind of revenue streams that can be started, that we can start to create that, you know, can reinforce some of these risk changing uh, responsibilities? Yeah, you know, we've already seen a little bit of that, right? With the pandemic, um, not only, you know, we were delivering vaccines before the pandemic, we were doing flu shots, shingle shots, pneumonia shots, things of that nature. And of course we added COVID vaccines. Beyond that, we started doing COVID testing. So screenings, doing those through the pharmacy, I think we're going to start to see a lot more of that for a myriad uh, of different, you know, healthcare needs. Obviously, I think we'll continue to expand vaccines. We're starting to see more RSV and things of that nature, monkeypox, right? Beyond those things, I think that, you know, the research shows, I was reading an article the other day that people talk to their pharmacists or their local pharmacy team 10 times more often than they talk to their PCP, if they even have one, right? And so your pharmacist and your pharmacy team are really available to you to help with that. And I think that the future includes really leaning in there and seeing what other things we're able to do, whether it's the ability to prescribe, you know, based on, based on screenings, hey, your symptoms really suggest you have this thing and common antibiotics potentially can be prescribed uh, by the pharmacist or birth control could be prescribed by the pharmacist, things of that nature. I think we're going to start to see more of that over time. And I think we're also going to start to see pharmacists more involved in telehealth as well. So that if you can't get to the pharmacy, but you need something and you really do want to have that sort of face-to-face, -face, albeit virtually, we'll have the ability to, to set up those appointments um, and that would be another you know, revenue stream for us as well, potentially. And on the flip side, where do you see are the major challenges for traditional pharmacy? We know that there's pressure from the Amazon and the strictly digital um, players. Although I think we can all agree they can't do everything. And we talked about that and, and generative AI and um, 
and I was just reminded, uh, a friend of mine was telling me just the other day that um, he had gone into one of those uh, generative AI platforms to diagnose his symptoms. And uh, the platform said it was 98% sure he had uh, glandular fever. And it turned out he had the flu. So, you know, there is a long way to go. From just to your point from before, there's a long way to go before we get parity with uh, walking in and talking to a pharmacist. Uh, but these technologies are coming. They are posing a challenge. And it's not only that, you know, there is an aging population which has its own uh, benefits plus challenges for pharmacy as well. So I'm just curious from your uh, standpoint, what do you see as the biggest challenge to traditional uh, bricks and mortar pharmacy and, and how do we alleviate some of those challenges, possibly with an omni-channel approach? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the one of the things we talk about a lot is lifetime value of, of a customer, right? And so at CVS, for example, we have a loyalty program, the, the extra care card, 74 million people have one. It's one of the largest loyalty programs in the United States. And what's happening, what we're seeing a lot of is, you know, families have, they share an extra care card and that's great. But then, you know, when uh, the, the children in the family turn 18, they're not necessarily getting their own card or they're not necessarily shopping the same way um, at CVS as their parents do or as grandparents do or other older family members. And so that kind of combined with some of the other pressures we're experiencing in the industry, like real margin pressures, real scrutiny from, from the insurance side, um, you know, trying to go lean and really not prescribe when it's not needed things of that nature, we're seeing that lifetime value of customers going down for, for younger generations. And, and those are the people that are going to be shopping, you know, for the next several decades. So that's something we're really trying to figure out is how do we, how do we, we're talking a lot about meeting people where they are and giving them what they need in this omni-channel approach. And, and how do we also do that like multi-generationally, you know, we can't be everything to everybody, and I don't think that anybody can be at the moment, although maybe, you know, generatively I will figure it out at some point, but we really have to figure out how we can be compelling, how we can be differentiated enough to these different generations to sustain this lifetime value and keep our patients coming back and deciding to use us versus a competitor over, over their lifetime. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really great point. Capturing the lifetime value in a way, as you said, that that you are basically with them generation on generation, and that trust builds um, across the decades. I, that is really super important to really counteract and counterbalance, uh, especially the the technological side or the very impersonal at this point. Uh, technology uh, that can be leveraged, you know, to replace some of those services. So I, I really agree. I think that's that's a really good point. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about because I had left CVS by the time the pandemic hit. So I just wanted to maybe rewind a few years. And as we're talking at the moment, there is yet another sort of mini surge of COVID cases uh, with a, a yet another type of variant. So as somebody who was, was working at CVS uh, through the pandemic, take me through what it was like in uh, you know really see us at the forefront of a lot of a lot of this especially with uh immunizations and things of that nature and testing 
take me a little bit through that experience and then maybe talk to me about you know, how well you think we're set up, especially from perspective of, of the pharmacy industry for the next pandemic, if it comes. Yeah, I mean, the first time around, you know, you missed all the fun, Michael. Um, and it, it was a lot of fun and a lot of long days. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about convenience and sort of the, the placement of brick and mortar pharmacy chains in the communities, being near people, being accessible. Um, and so that was really critical when we were trying to get out treatment, getting out a prophylaxis and, and, and screenings and prescriptions to people that were infected, being in the neighborhood, being near people and being able to partner, you know, with the government and with um, pharmaceutical companies that were making these vaccines and these test kits and moving inventory around really quickly to, to thousands of locations. Um, it was not easy. There were a lot of learnings. And I think for a lot of organizations that, um, you know, thought they were ready, it, it, it was a big learning. You know, you don't ever fully know what it is going to be like until it happens. And so we really had to kind of come together um, bring bring together a lot of task forces, working a lot of days um, to figure some of this stuff out, the technology aspects of it, how to be compliant, do everything um, legally uh, and still do everything quickly. Um, and so I think it really brought a lot of companies forward um, in terms of their omni-channel capabilities for us being able to do a lot of the ordering or scheduling of appointments for vaccines online first and you know so that there was a queue and when you showed up the pharmacist knew to expect you that really made things much more efficient um, but it was all a learning curve right and figuring out um, you know what was billable to insurance versus what was being paid out of pocket and and things of that nature um, it was it was definitely it was a journey um, and it wasn't necessarily always smooth you know but what we've learned from that i do think positions us much better, at least, than we were, say, in, you know, December of 2019, um, to address the next one, whatever it is. Will it be perfect? Probably not. And there are just some things you don't know um, that you don't know, right? But we're in a much better position now with the capabilities that we have from an omni-channel perspective um, to deliver at least a framework that should help us um, with whatever comes next. Well, it leads me to my next question. And, and this is something that I know I struggled with when I was at CVS Health. And I, it makes sense because we're, we're kind of sitting in the corporate headquarters and there's 10,000 retail locations across the entire United States. Uh, I don't know if there's one state that doesn't have a CVS, maybe there's one or two, I can't remember, but I feel like it's, they're pretty much in every state. How do you figure out what's working and what's not working when you're pushing some of the, these initiatives or when you're trying out, uh, especially under you know, circumstances of COVID, you're, you're gonna launching these uh, strategies, how are you getting feedback, how are you figure out what works and what doesn't work uh, and what kind of strategies could you know, pharmacy owners who are, who are listening to this podcast, maybe even, I mean, a much smaller scale, they may only have one, they may only have two or three. You know, what kind of strategies can they then um, use to understand what's happening in their own little ecosystem? Yeah, you know, I think that there, there are really some things that kind of would hold true, whether or not you've got one location 
100 locations, 1,000 locations or more than that, really critically important in these dire times, you have to be able to move quickly and you have to be able to recognize failure when it's happening and move on from it quickly, be okay with that uh, failure. You know, that's how we learn. So you need to be able to test. Um, communication is critical, right? Communication is critical regardless of the size uh, of your organization or the size of the workforce that you're trying to mobilize to get something accomplished. And you need to be able to have a two-way um, forum to hear from people how things are going. So you really need to dedicate time and resources to going through that feedback, addressing things as they come up. If you have a help desk that can take calls and take feedback um, and, and route issues you know, to the right departments to help resolve that, if it's something like technology related, right? That's all critically important. And it's super important if you are in a larger organization um, to make sure that you have a field structure with field leadership that can be boots on the ground. If you're not able to travel from wherever you are to the locations to see how things are going firsthand, you need to have a support system that is, and you need to have people that can champion whatever it is that you're doing, recognizing that you've got a good goal, how you get there may need to change over time. Um, and often the most helpful feedback that we get is from the people on the front lines delivering it. They're the ones that truly see what's working and what isn't for our patients. And so really being able to prioritize that feedback and then action on it is, is just incredibly important um, to evolving whatever it is you're trying to accomplish from a concept to something that's efficient, sustainable, um, and even potentially profitable. Yeah, I think it seems that the same skill set uh, is required in terms of you know, open lines of communication and setting clear goals, working towards those goals, having some sort of feedback mechanism, uh, whether it's one pharmacy or 10,000 pharmacies, so you just have an understanding of how your strategy, strategies are translating to boots on the ground. Uh, I think, they, to your point, it, those are the same skill sets and same skills regardless of, of size. Yeah, and it sounds simple, right? Um, and having KPIs and having analytics and the ability to measure how you're doing and, and are you tracking towards success and addressing if you're not, it's easy to say, right? But as the former owner of, of many scorecards and lots of digital, um, you know, sets of analytics on, on thousands of stores, Michael, we did a lot of this in, in product development when we were there around patient adherence programs. Um, it's, it's not a small feat at least not for, you know, a large organization, but even with a smaller one, you know, um, really the ability to, to take whatever the results are telling you and do something with it and do something quickly. It's almost always easier said um, than done, but critically important. Yeah, and let's talk about that for a second, the, the analytics. And you're right, we saw a lot of data and I'm sure you are inundated with data from across the entire organization. And I personally, my I have a theory of diminishing returns with data analytics that you can get to a point where it's not really telling you much of anything and you just need to start to maybe narrow your focus to maybe three or four key performance indicators and just really use those to drive the business. Uh, agree or disagree? Totally agree. 
I think the saying is death by a thousand cuts or death by a million cuts. And you can certainly go down all kinds of rabbit holes with the data. Um, and so often when you do that, you don't get good results like you were saying, Michael. So I absolutely agree. Um, it's critically important to keep it simple. Defining, you know, what those key KPIs are may take work in the beginning, should take work in the beginning when you can get, you know, hundreds or thousands of different uh, metrics, they're not all gonna be important. So you really do need to figure out which ones are important to you. And then as time goes on, you need to be able to really kind of quickly assess whether or not you're right. Are, were, those, were those the best four things to measure? Should it be different? Um, and being really kind of purposeful throughout that process. Um, it's hard, but it's it's really important. Yeah, and the, and the kind of simpler you can keep it, often the better the execution is gonna be. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of it as well is, does this pass the smell test? Um, I remember, you may not remember, but I remember we were working on a project where we were collecting data from the dispense system and there were a couple of metrics which were kind of really, we were surprised, a little bit out of whack. And you figured out that some of the staff were kind of gaming that metric a little bit, or there was a way to game the metric in the system that we weren't aware of. Um, well, I hadn't worked you know, in, the, in the retail pharmacy. So how do you kind of see through that, um, you know, the, through that fog? Because sometimes, you know, they say the data doesn't lie, data lies all the time frankly, as far as I'm concerned, but how do you, what's your process in kind of seeing through that? Yeah, uh, you know, that can take different forms depending on what it is that you're trying to accomplish, you know, and so for for what you were just mentioning, um, you know, I remember there were, one of my first projects when I came into corporate was to deliver poly-level data on, um, you know, various things that, that we were kind of pushing at the time from an initiative standpoint and essentially being able to measure, you know, whether or not um, colleagues were doing the things that they were saying they were doing. Um, and as somebody that I'd spent 12 years working in the stores prior to coming to corporate, uh, that did not make me a lot of new friends and probably lost me some existing ones, you know, at the time. Um, and I could completely understand the workarounds having lived it. Um, and being under so much pressure to deliver so many things in such a little amount of time, you are always kind of looking for um, ways to get things done faster or, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent shortcuts. So I think it really depends, you know, in, in, in those particular instances, um, there were some, you know, there were sort of repercussions, right? Um, kind of like from a fraud, waste, and abuse standpoint, if we were claiming we were doing things that we weren't. And so it was critically kind of important to to really get granular and see where there were potentially, you know, coaching opportunities, um, you know, to address some of those things. Now, that's not the right model for everything that you're doing. Um, and so you really kind of have to decide, like, what what's the right level of measurement? You know, if you've got um, one store, you know, that's different than if you've got several um, and maybe you decide, you know, to measure, you know, we kind of break down our large network of stores into sort of different um, groupings, like districts, which are sort of, you know, the, the local 
um, you know, surrounding towns. And then there are regions, which are larger, maybe that's a state um, or a couple of states. And then there are areas that's like the Northeast and the Southeast and, and the Northwest and the Southwest. And so, you know, we, we decide, like, how do we want to um, sort of cascade down and measure up based on whatever, you know, it is that we're trying to uh, accomplish. But it's it's different depending on what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm always fascinated talking about the cascading down or or from the uh, kind of the surface up, how innovation happens, uh, particularly in these types of environments. I'm just wondering, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, is innovation possible in a busy pharmacy? So I, again, my personal opinion is that innovation doesn't happen you know, in a, in a boardroom in the ivory tower or somewhere in, in one CVS drive, you know, apologies to my, my CVS colleagues from previously. I mean, there's, there's a lot of um, good strategies, obviously, and, and a lot of great ideas, but the true innovation I think, happens in the pharmacies with the pharmacists and pharmacy technicians working day to day, trying to figure out ways to do things a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, but we know how busy the staff is in the pharmacy. I, you know, it's it's just nonstop answering phones, dealing with customers, dealing with drive-in, you know, prescriptions online. Is innovation possible in that type of environment? In your opinion? Oh yeah, I think the most innovation happens in in that environment because that's where it's needed. Because it's not it's not innovating to innovate. You know, it's innovating to survive. <laughs> Um, and, and certainly, you know, a lot of times when we are trying to think through in a corporate setting, the next best thing, we lean on our store colleagues and our, you know, our, our pharmacy colleagues for feedback. We really value that. We try to have a feedback loop. You know, we have forums, we identify champions, we bring people into the corporate setting to test things with us in our, you know, sort of mock pharmacy that we have and get their live feedback um, around whether or not they think that this is a good idea or that patients will like these things. You know, we um, we do training videos with colleagues that work at CVS. We're not hiring actors to, to do them. And in those training videos, you know, we when people are reading the scripts, you get some really interesting feedback. <laughs> Um, and that's, it's, it's critically important. Right. And, and so we, we try to, we try to hear as much as we can, you know, from our stores around what's going on, what's working, what isn't, what the ideas are. We, we have hackathons, you know, now we give colleagues the ability to sort of submit ideas on a pretty regular basis. And, you know, as you can imagine with hundreds of thousands of colleagues, there's quite a lot of feedback, um, and sifting through it can be daunting and probably an opportunity, you know, to do better, but, we do have a ton of innovation you know, that really is born out of necessity or just from the people that are on the ground and are really, really passionate about these things. They've got great ideas um, and we, and we take them as often as we can. And conversely, there are a lot of us in the corporate setting that did work, you know, in the pharmacies and in the stores. And so we lean on that experience as well. And we lean on our networks of friends um, that are still in the stores to get their opinions as we are thinking about innovating um, so that we're not kind of just putting stuff out there that looks good on paper, but ultimately um, doesn't really work out the way that we thought it would. Yeah, I think that's really, really nicely put. 
Um, and to innovating to survive uh, might, might be the new motto uh, for, for pharmacy writ large, actually, because uh, that's, that's what we need to do, survive, just innovate and, and keep driving forward. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this, kind of, kind of uh, to close the loop. What advice would you give someone looking to have the sort of really varied, interesting career that you've created for yourself in pharmacy? Uh, I guess a, an adjunct to that question would be, did you have a plan going in and, and did you stick to the plan or you know, how, how did it all unfold? And if somebody is listening saying, well, how, how about that? How about the career Jess has? How is that possible? Yeah, I, this was not my plan. I don't know that I necessarily had a plan. You know, when I was four years old, I desperately wanted to be a hairdresser or a doctor, and I'm neither one of those things. So, um, you know, I would say this probably wasn't the plan. I, I certainly didn't see myself, you know, um, working in corporate America. However, uh, it has been a wonderful career. I've had just fantastic opportunities and, and within the organization that I work within, you can have so many different careers within a career, you know, and I have had many um, so far. And the way that I got here and what my advice would be to others who are interested um, in diversifying or trying new things is to not be afraid to say yes. That doesn't mean to say yes every time you get tapped on the shoulder to do something. You should be selective. And when the opportunities arise, you should think about whether or not it makes sense for you. Is it something you're really interested in? Is it going to give you exposure to parts of the business that you want to learn more about? And if it ticks off the boxes for you for whatever those priorities are, then don't be afraid to say yes. Um, I could have stayed comfortable. You know, as a pharmacy technician, I loved being a pharmacy technician. I did it for 10 years, and I miss being in the community and delivering care uh, to my patients all the time. You know, but because I wasn't afraid to say yes to other opportunities, I've now expanded my horizons and been able to learn so much about so many um, different parts of the business that I really value and I think really sets me up to continue doing that, you know, for, for years to come. So don't be afraid to say yes. I think that's wonderful advice, and um, I'm sure you'll continue to have an amazing career trajectory. Uh, wish you all the best, Jess, and uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's great. Thanks for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast. And don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment if you found this episode of value or have any feedback. Podcast episodes are promoted through social media, LinkedIn, YouTube, and major podcast mediums. And each episode can be found on the Pharmacy View webpage with links to guest contact and business details. If you're a pharmacist or industry support supplier and would like to join us on an episode, send us a message through LinkedIn or complete the inquiry form on the Pharmacy View webpage. I'm your host, Michael Alexander, pharmacist and co-founder of the communication intelligence platform, Ottery. On behalf of Shopfront Solutions and Arion Technologies, Thanks again for joining us today on the Pharmacy View podcast.